Welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. So excited you guys have taken time to be with us today. Hope you'll put up with my squeaky voice. Uh, it actually sounds better today than yesterday. Yeah, I, I said, you're, you're basically Batman today, you <laughs> yeah. know, put a costume on and, you get know, my, you got your voice. Get my mask on. No one know who you are, <laughs> you know. Yes, I've, I actually feel pretty good, but I don't sound so good. Uh, but hopefully you can put up with uh, the nuisance of my, of my voice and hear actually what we're talking about today. Always so much to talk about. I think we would be remiss to skip over the fact that our prayers... Uh, and the prayers of many people for a long time are actually happening. We're seeing a move of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't miss it. It's on all the major news networks uh, talking about what's going on on these Christian university campuses where there's just a spontaneous hunger for God, repentance, worship. Of course, Asbury's been going on now for uh, for several, uh, what, a couple of weeks, I guess. Um, what's your thought on all that? Pretty Pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You're, I, you're a university rat as well as myself. I mean, we spent a lot of time at universities. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's encouraging. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, whatever anyone's thought is on, you know, the sustainability or, or authenticity, all that stuff. I, I saw a commentator. He's like, just think about this. What typically happens at a university, <laughs> you know? And exactly. at the very least, this is the reversal of what's <clears throat> typically happening. Uh, you know, the, the the deviant sexual behaviors, the the you know drunkenness, drunkenness, and the throwing <laughs> off of all type of restraints and and self centeredness. And now you have a time of repentance yeah. uh, uh, of putting the spotlight on God and not us. Um, so, I mean, in my books, I'm like, it's great. We need more of that everywhere. Yeah. No, yeah. no need to uh, condemn any of that. Uh, but I think it fits into just what we we're talking about on this podcast. Um, you know, the, the, the head and the heart, the, the light and the, and the passion of the heart, light in the head, passion in the heart. You know, all of this awakening in the heart is wonderful. But it has to be combined, and this is where I think where the church needs to step up, and where Christian universities need to step up and kind of end the uh, the wokeness that's been encroaching in a lot of places. Once your heart gets on fire for Jesus, your brain better catch up or you fall right back into the swamp again. Yeah. And I think that's what we have been trying to challenge folks in with this podcast on Christian Worldview is you have to have an infrastructure of reality in your mind that's based on truth that actually fuels the passion in your heart. And those things should never be at odds. Your 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 head and your heart should never be uh, a dichotomy. They should always work hand in glove. I, I've said this for years, you know, the more light you have in your head, the more fire for Jesus you should have in your heart. Yeah. And if you want to sustain the fire in your heart, you better be filling your mind with truth and with ideas that correspond with, with what God has revealed to us. Yeah, and what I found is, you know, when I have an emotional experience, uh, when I go to the conference, when I'm inspired, those are great for jump starts to get me on a new, uh, a new dedication, a new commitment, yes. or a new paradigm shift. Those are super helpful. But to sustain that in the long run, I need a change in my structure. I need a change in how I think. There needs to be some type of insight that is applied to real life, that applies what I do on an everyday basis. Yeah. So this is so important for both, <clears throat> for, for the emotion or the heart and the intellect and, and what we actually do on a day-to-day basis for a long, sustainable movement. Yes. You know, <clears throat> you, know you, talk about, you talk about things like head and heart, but there's also another uh, beautiful union. It's word and spirit. 
And I think those correspond. So just what you said is so good. There's got to be, there's got to be the infrastructure to go with the fire that brings about reformation. Uh, there's has to be the word, and there has to be the spirit. And and I was trying to share on that Sunday. You know, like what's the end game here? We want to see, we want to see people's hearts revived. But that should always spill over into a transformation of of the nation and culture, yeah. and the nations. In other words, the gr- the Great Commission is still the end game, and um, we can't get lost in the experience. Although the experiences are, I would argue, not only wonderful, but essential. I yeah, mean, it's necessary. Yeah, yeah, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, to revive us. But after that reviving takes place. We roll up our sleeves and we get to work in, in, in the transformation of our country. I, I think a lot of what is taught on on college campus in general is really <clears> a <throat> subtle hint. I don't even know how subtle it is. A hint of victimization. That we're all victims of something. It's always someone else's fault. And yeah. there's a, it's a systematic fall. Whereas repentance is the opposite of that. Repentance says, I'm at fault. At my heart, I need forgiveness. I need to be transformed. I need to be changed. And out of that sense of ownership comes, you know, the opposite of victimhood is is, is empowerment, yes. comes a sense of like, I want to take responsibility. That's why out of these traditional revivals, people go all over the, over the world and plant churches and do mission. The, the Great Commission follows a time of revival. Yeah. It should because it comes, you change from victim to responsibility, to empowerment, to yes. motion, to movement, to, to going out and take responsibility for the world, take responsibility for the Great Commission. So that should be the general process is a transformation of your heart and soul opposite of that woke movement in college campus. So that's what I like to see is is what does it move into? Like you said, changing our <clears> culture <throat> at large, changing people's lives where people go out and, and plant churches. And Amen. what does this look like, right? Amen. And, and not to just to put it like, all right, let's get that over so we can get on with the business. Uh, yeah, we're praying that the, that the uh, waters of revival keep rising. You know, even in every church across our nation, you can never have too much of the presence of God. But it is exciting to see what's that next step. And I think it's great, you know, God's visiting our college students because they're at a season in their life where they're asking the big questions. Who am I? What am I called to do? You know, where am I called to invest my life? What what greater time to have Holy Spirit consecration and surrender and saying, Lord, my life is not my own. My life belongs to you. Uh, show me what it is that you have for me to do. You know, when I was in college, that was probably the most uh, formative because you make some big decisions about who you are and, and because you're for many people it's the first time you're out of your parents household right. you might be going to a different state you get to pick your friends you kind of reinvent yourself for the first time right you're not going to the church you grew up with right. you know you don't you don't have the same group of friends and that is when you really find out who you want to be or who you really are inside who you want to be right. and that's an important phase of your life and, and and I think unfortunately you know in general people often turn make the wrong turn you know because the infrastructure is not correct or they get sucked into the world yeah. but but this is also a great time for people to realize wow I actually have a genuine passion and desire want to follow Jesus yes. because now it's a real it's not just your parents faith anymore it becomes your own faith that's right? so good so good so Come, Holy Spirit, keep moving. We love you. We honor you. We welcome you in our nation. And, you know, part of the, the, the foundation of this podcast is we say this a lot. Ideas have consequences. Like what you believe about ultimate reality will have definite consequences about how you live and, and will determine the fruit of your life. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. In other words, when you promote what is true and good and beautiful— your nation gets exalted when you promote what is evil and ugly 
and, and, and sick and perverted and twisted, it has consequences on your nation. And we've made this point because it's, it's become such a popular word in our culture today, the whole word woke. Now, when we talk about woke, we're talking about uh, what's popular today, deviating from the past, from tradition, from truth, from righteousness, from biblical morality, from Western civilization, from all of those things. When you deviate from that, and you embrace perversion, and you embrace things that are wicked, um, that does not exalt you, that demotes you, and, and, and that hurts, and it has consequences. And I just wanted to point out the truth of this, because sometimes it takes time for truth to surface. But this was a, an excellent article called San Francisco Cries Uncle on seven-year boycott of red states. You know, San Francisco, of course, is probably the epitome of wokeness, and when, when different states came out protecting gender and protecting children and promoting life and promoting things that we would call righteous according to biblical standards, uh, cities like San Francisco came out with travel bans and contracting blackouts. In other words, they just decided that they were going to not do business with any state um, that actually promoted righteousness. Uh, that's the way we would call it. Um, and now they're starting to do a little assessment on that. It started off in 2016. I, I, they had a ban on uh, a limited number of states. I forget how many it was. I guess it was eight. Eight states. Now they have a whopping 30 states that San Francisco, as a city, will simply not do business, do business with. Now think about that. What if you decided to get rid of two-thirds of the United States just about that you can no longer do business with. And now you have to go through the business of, okay, well, we can't work with Indiana. We can't work with some of these conservative states. So we have to figure out how to, how to shift all of our business to these other states that we deem worthy. What they're finding is not that they're hurting these other states. In fact, they're not impacting them at all. But what's, what is happening is the cost of doing business in San Francisco has gone up about 20%. In a state that's already bankrupt. Yeah, because you have uh, less, you know, people less to less selections. Yeah, absolutely. You're buying to what New York, Boston, I mean Massachusetts, you know, Washington D.C. <laughs> really cheap states to work with, you know, in general, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. You're already at a very expensive. Oregon, state. yeah. Yeah. So, so now, now, now your economic options are shrinking. Right. And it's just this is just basic you know, economic theory here. You have less economic liberty. And and how about this? How about all the people voting with their feet? This is crazy. Uh, since since COVID, the moving vans have been a perpetual one-way convo convoy out of air or out of California. Listen to this: five hundred and eight thousand nine hundred and three people, over half a million of your citizens, called it quits on the state with sky-high costs. Crime, taxes, and regulation. So think about that. Half a million citizens have left California so, just since COVID. So the thing I agree with about that <clears throat> is we just did the census. I wish they do the census now. Oh yeah, because that, that, the congressional map will be changed because of all the all the movement be, between the yeah, different states. We just did in twenty twenty. We won't do it till twenty thirty. You know, they're losing house seats and and other things based on simply. Yeah, but the we won't know till twenty thirty, right? So, but yeah. but interestingly enough. Where are all these people moving? They're not moving to states like California. Right. They're moving to states that have embraced, again, I'm using the word righteous as opposed to woke. 
They're moving to states that are promoting righteousness because righteousness exalts a people, exalts states, exalts cities, exalts nations. Um, the other thing that came out, remember when uh, North Carolina simply decided they were going to protect children and be pro-life, and they were yeah. going to protect uh, boys and girls and make sure they stay in the right locker rooms and protect gender and actually acknowledge that genders exist. Um, and supposedly, they were going to lose billions of dollars in business. Well, did that happen? North Carolina's tourism numbers broke records. Its population grew faster than any state in the union. The state's GDP was even higher than the national average. The booming economic climate even caught Forbes' attention, who ranked the Tar Heels the second best state for doing business that year. A title it won for the next three, 2017, 2018, 2019, and suddenly the tough talk about retaliation from corporations and other organizations was being exposed for what it was, empty threats from big mouth bullies. That's the proof. And I, I hope that states like our own here in Indiana, I hope that our legislators look at the data next time they're worried about the NCAA or, or other, um, you know, big tech corporations that are threatening all the money that's going to be lost. It's all a bunch of hogwash. It's just not true at all. And, and may God be true and every uh, politician be a liar, because the truth is, if you promote righteousness, you win. If you promote wokeness, you go broke. Uh, that is being affirmed over and over and over again in states across the United States of America. Yeah. Uh, did you get that check from the state of Indiana because of the surplus? I didn't get it yet. I don't okay. think anyway. Yeah, I got it. I, I got it a while ago. I was like, wow, because there's some law that says that there's a surplus and blah, 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 blah. I was just like, wow. That's yeah, imagine amazing. that giving us our money back. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, because we have a surplus. I was like, sweet. Yeah. So this is interesting. So in addition to North Carolina, there was threats about concerts. We had people like Bruce Springsteen, Pearl Jam, concerts like that threatening they're not going to do business or do concerts in states to promote righteousness. That went over like a lead balloon because here's what they found out. If you have a $100 ticket, 80 or $90 of that ticket's leaving with the artist. Yeah. The rest of it's staying in the state, which is negligible. Um, sports. The NCAA threatened states over anti-quote transgender bills. What they found was that they simply have nowhere to go with their concert, with their conference, or I'm sorry, their uh, conventions, uh, and, uh, uh, games, games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you when you do the uh, the NCAA tournaments and all these kinds of things, all of a sudden they're limited in where they can even host these things. So that blew up in their face. The NCAA was going to boycott Florida, and uh, because of Florida's conservative influence. Uh, they quickly turned on a dime on that one. And the last one to mention here is simply Hollywood. Uh, Netflix, Disney, Warner Media, Sony Pictures were all going to uh, punish Alabama and Georgia uh, and quickly decided that's not going to work too well. Uh, and the bottom line is simply this. Uh, there's an unsustainability of the left's wokeness. Um, which is now coming to the to the forefront. Uh, if you go woke, you do go broke. And we saw that in Florida and other places that try to uh, attack uh, conservative states for promoting righteousness. And one last thing before we get into the deeper part of our uh, podcast today, I thought this was interesting. This is a brand new uh, poll that came out suggesting that GOP primary voters actually want candidates to embrace cultural issues, not shy away from them, but they want people that are really going to fight. And this was interesting. The, the issue that brought up the most uh, heat, the most fire, 
uh, from uh, the ones being polled, they said, we definitely want candidates who will stand against this gender mutilation stuff that's happening among, among eight-year-olds where uh, doctors and parents are actually promoting the, the uh, transitioning of their children as young as eight years old. You know, we understand you can't, once that happens, there's no going back. And we're literally destroying uh, our children uh, when they're uh, at such an impressionable young age. And um, the polls are all saying, hey, uh, we, want, uh, we want parents' rights bills passed in public education. We want to know, we want transparency. We want to know what's being taught to our students. Uh, we want to promote life. We want to promote purity. We want to promote all these things that are being trampled by the left's agenda. Uh, we, we want to protect um, sports, from especially girls sports. These are all things that are big on the uh, on the hearts of people today. And now we're looking at a primary coming up with, with two... Uh, Two very strong candidates. Uh, we, of course, don't know yet about Ron DeSantis, but Trump's back in the race. And what that particular article said was a Trump-DeSantis battle in a primary would be very good for those of us that care about conservative values because each one would be pushing uh, basically to the right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that would be good for the nation because righteousness does exalt the nation, but it would also be good for... Um, just public policy and the debate. So it's good. I can't imagine what that would look like. Um, but I think we're in for some interesting um, political battles in the days ahead. Yeah, just in my imagination, if you want to turn out for voters, just just talk about messing with your kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what's the primary drive for most people with kids is their kids, you yeah. know, more than the economy, more than, <clears throat> you know, whatever these social issues is the protection of your kids. Yeah, and I hope, again, I hope our politicians are listening to that because it seems like they sometimes try to avoid these issues. Um, but at the end of the day, anybody with, with children that's going to public school, public education, I mean, my goodness, you you want to know what's being taught and you, you want to make sure your kids are not being groomed or taught uh, this kind of woke agenda that we've been exposing in I think there's human nature instinct upon us to protect our young. I mean... Just for most, I mean, if you're a normal, like you're not a psychopath, you care about your kids. Well, that's right? what the polling found. It's not just Republicans <laughs> and conservatives. It's independents and Democrats. Yeah. That issue of gender transition was a hot issue. And, and parents who would consider themselves independents and even those in the Democratic spectrum. It's not like this is a monolithic issue for Democrats. They're all like, yeah, let's transition our kids. No, uh, there's Democrats who are deeply concerned about this. Yeah. So, um, and it gets right back to biblical principles. Who's in charge of their children? It's not the state. It's not public education. It's the parents. That's a biblical principle. Whether you're a Christian or not, you get it. At least most do, unless you don't have kids. Uh, you're usually the ones pushing for all this radical leftist nonsense. All right, <clears throat> let's transition a little bit today. We always like to hit the hot button items, at least at the beginning of our podcast. Um, but we want to begin talking about just simply the biblical foundation that leads to economic blessing and leads to ma making nations great. I did a series not too long ago. Um, actually, it has been a long time ago. I'm getting old. It's amazing how fast time flies. It's called Notions That Shape Nations. Ideas have consequences. And just what you and I chatted about, ideas form the infrastructure of reality. Now, that's kind of a up there, out there concept. But think about it. Every single idea that we talk about today on this podcast and just the fact of ideas and thoughts themselves, those thoughts come from somewhere and those thoughts will shape ultimate reality. That's why you can go from nation to nation, culture to culture, and see a completely different societal um, you know, uh, 
output based on what those nations believe about ultimate reality. And, uh, and if you have bad ideas, you have bad consequences. If you have good ideas, you have good consequences. And we get right back into what makes a good idea, what makes a bad idea, and how do we know, how do we know the difference? I, I think this topic could be, for most people, it seems kind of foreign because on our data interactions, we're kind of dealing with the fringe level. We're dealing with like the effect of the effect of the effect of the effect. Exactly. We're hard, so we're always, we're, we're debating and arguing about peripheral issues. It's like, you know, if you have cancer and the cancer is causing you to have a headache, you want to, you, you, you start taking aspirin for your headache. But you're not really dealing with the heart of the issue when the nation is sick. It's not due to the headache. It's due to the cancer, right? Sure. So, so, so most people are unaware of these deep, deep issues because in, in news media, we don't talk about this, you know. And mm-hmm. in, in TikTok or social media, <clears throat> people are hardly discussing these foundational issues because you're, they're de- debating these, you know, uh, just on a superficial level. And we want to go real deep to say these superficial levels are actually a reflection of the deep sense of what is truth. Right. So well said. You know, this is a soundbite culture. So we never get, as you pointed out, to the foundation because we're stuck up here in the soundbites because our culture has an appetite for social media, for the nightly news. The deeper issues of our culture are never addressed. We never get to the philosophical underpinnings. Like, what is the foundational assumption of that? point you just made. We always deal with the emotional part of it. Say something in a way that causes people emotion to be inflamed. But emotions are not good things to build your culture on. They're they're fleeting. They change. They're manipulated by politicians. Absolutely. Or the the clickbait we talk about. What's going to get you the most clicks? Well, whatever gets you the most clicks is not what you're going to build your culture on, unfortunately. And, um, And so it's good to kind of pause at a time and actually look at what I call here the infrastructure of reality. Um, I like this quote by David Mackey. He said, your thoughts are the architects of your destiny. That's pretty powerful to think that like the way I live my life today are, is going to be largely determined by my inner thoughts. Like my thoughts are happening all the time. I don't pay attention to them most of the time, but I'm always evaluating what's going on around me. And, uh, and if I don't stop to look at the thoughts themselves, like what's building me, I'm not going to have a very good outcome on my life. If I, if on the contrary is also true, if I really look at my thought life and it is my life based on truth, uh, then I can live an amazing life. But then we get back to the question again of what is truth. And sometimes we're, we, we aren't pausing long enough to, to ask that question today. Um, we make the statement here, the Bible and the Christian worldview combined to create the world in which we now live in, in the West. Of course, all that's under assault, but but it goes without argument that the 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 ideas that shape who we are in America today were founded by the Bible and then by extension by the Christian worldview. I, I thought it was interesting because even as these ideas are under assault, they're under assault. <clears throat> Those who are attacking these ideas are standing on the foundation of biblical ideas, exactly. right? Because you use words like intolerance and, and you're not being compassionate. You're about being justice. Justice. You need, you know, equity in the environment in, in our culture today. You know, you're you're discriminating. Well, the root of all those still is still compassion. So, ask the deeper question: Why ought we? Why ought we act compassionate? Right. Which points back to a biblical foundation of God's compassion of God, right? So, why, so why, why doesn't justice bother you? Why, yeah. why is justice a good thing? Why, why don't we just? <clears throat> what's wrong with discriminating based on people's skin color? What's why can't I just choose to align with one skin color and and, and punish another skin color? Well, because 
everyone's made image and likeness of God. So, so it's interesting because if you think deeply enough, the foundation of these attackers against Western Civ is using that foundation to attack itself, right? right? And, and that's a good thing to point out. You know, the very assumption and ideas that they used to lob grenades into our camp, they're borrowing from our rich heritage. And, and if, right. they, if, they, if they don't believe in God, for instance, and, and, and they have no absolute truth, then they have no basis for argument at all. Or, or even, like, what kind of God? Maybe you believe in a God that doesn't care about compassion. Right. You know, the, our Judeo-Christian God, the, the, Yah, the Yahweh, the one and truly, is reveals himself as a just God right. and a compassionate and loving God, right? And that's how we draw compassion, right? right? So, it has to have a source is what you're saying. Right, right. You know, and that's, I think, important. Every idea comes from somewhere. And many times we just don't pause to say, well, where did that concept come from? Or why do, why do I believe that? Um, and, and this is critical because we would like to argue today that your ideas really have only two sources. Either your idea comes from God, it's a God thought, which is the foundation of truth and reality, or it's a twisted, perverted uh, concept that... Uh, has been by extension twisted by Satan himself. Uh, ideas have only one of two sources. Uh, ultimately, they correspond to truth or they don't. And if they don't, they're, they're in the camp of the enemy. And if they do, they're, they're on side of righteousness and, and they're going to lead to good outcomes. You know, we give some examples to, to your point. Uh, in America, we talk about human dignity, right? Um, why do we value human life or do we value human life? We're, we're going to unpackage that whole concept in, in some podcasts down the road here. How about the, uh, the notion of human progress? Uh, why does America lead the way in technological breakthrough? And we have, we have for a long, long time. Why are we the cutting edge of technology and of in, uh, invention? There's a reason for that. Um, human rights. Why do humans have any rights or do they have rights i mean these are these are being debated every day in, in like uh, intrinsic rights not rights given by government <clears throat> but but intrinsic rights which yes. speaks to a greater government the exactly government, exactly right? but but again this is the air that we breathe in america and sometimes right. we don't stop to say well wait a minute where'd this notion of human rights even come from yeah even when someone's arrested you, you read the miranda rights yeah. to them right exactly well you know, they're being arrested, but they still, we still have rights in the middle of that, right? Innocent until proven guilty. Like, right. where did that idea come from? Right. Um, and then this whole idea of human flourishing. Why do we live in a nation that is still marked by great prosperity? And why do other nations always struggle to get any kind of traction? I think of first, for instance, uh, the nation of Haiti. There's been money poured into that nation by the probably billions, and yet it's still the same outcome. Uh, why a lack of traction? We could look at other certain countries across the world, uh, and it's not because the West has, you know, uh, hurt them or you know been prejudiced toward them. Uh, it's because of the infrastructure of their thought life and their ideas and the way that they're living. So, uh, ideas have power, and everything that exists around us first existed in the form of an idea. And that's, I think, what we're trying to look, put the brakes on here and pause and say, if everything first existed in, a, in the form of an idea, then we need to pause and go back and uncover the the, uh, the roots of those ideas to see where indeed they came from. I love this. The word idea comes from a Greek word. It means pattern or form. So our ideas are the things that shape, shape and pattern and form the way that we live and act. And our ideas are not neutral. All knowledge comes from somewhere. 
The source of our knowledge or ideas is important. And true ideas do not exist apart from God, the source of truth. So think about that, and let's talk about that for a minute. Ideas are not neutral. Um, in other words, there's, they're going to take us somewhere. They had a beginning, and they're taking us somewhere. We've got to unpackage that. Ideas like a train. You jump on the train, it's going somewhere. Right. Well, a moving train. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going somewhere. Yes. You just got re- you, you just got to have the foresight to say, hey, is this train taking me off a cliff or is this train taking me to promised land? Right. So, so we just gave the example of all of uh, what San Francisco's doing in these travel bans. We're not going to do business with you if you don't agree with our ideas. OK, well, I guess you have the right to do that. But that idea is not neutral. That idea is rooted in, in, a, in a particular viewpoint, and that idea, if you jump on that train, is going to take you somewhere, and it will have, me- this is what's important, it will have measurable outcome. I, I, got, a, I got a much more hot topic example okay. for you. I say the idea is your biology, your, your gender, your species, your, you, you, it's all based on how you feel. Okay. So, so let's start that with that. A that's, that. That's a hot topic. Let's go. You know, I'm not even talking about male and female. I'm just talking about basically your biological reality can be changed, should be changed based on how you feel. So forget the whole male, female. Let's just take the idea further <clears throat> down that train. Okay. Okay. So the first, you know, five minutes of the train, you know, it's like, wow, it looks really cool. But let's wait 10 years down the line. What does that look like when someone feels like they're an animal? What happens if someone feels like they're a car? Yeah, what, an, what an, is, an object, and yeah. then you just keep going along that line, and everyone else needs to embrace it and accept it. Let's, let's take that idea down the train. You know, this is the thought exercise that we ought to be doing more. Like, what does that world look like? How does that affect society? How does that affect respecting each other? How does that affect human flourishing and freedom? Right? Absolutely. You know? So, so that's just a thought exercise. You know, go down that train a little well, bit and see where it, it goes. It, it seems you. very innocuous until you realize, okay. Well, now if if I have to honor your reality, I have to honor your made up pronouns. I have to I have to create a whole other language just to relate to your your quote reality. Right. I can't I can't uh, uh, decide I don't want to partake in your reality because now I'm judging the idea you have about who you are. I, I mean, I, I have to grant that you're supposed to have the government now you know pay for your gender transition surgery. So now we're going to ignore your biology and you're because we're going to act on your feelings and that's all great, but then that has consequences as well. And then how am I supposed to relate to you? And how does that impact girl sports? And I mean, so the whole point is we just set something in motion that, that has a gazillion dominoes, but we never took the time to go back and say, is it a legitimate idea right. that because you're a male, you biologically, you could actually feel like you're a female and that, that's, and that we need to honor that. And, and what is true, again, you know, if the premise for accepting that is loving and kindness and tolerance, what does loving kindness tolerance really look like? Let's frame it in a different context. If my son says, I'm going to be a wolf and live in the woods with a wolf, what is the most loving thing to do with my son? To say, mm-hmm. go out and embrace that. Or do I say, hey, son, you're not a wolf. You live in my house. Yeah. You're going to die out living with the wolves. They're going to eat you. Yeah. So you're no, going to no, come let, and stay home with me. Let's you know? go out and buy him a, a box of dog bones and uh, and hand it to him and say, we love you, son, and affirm your, your choice here. Right. Here's some dog bones. You can go out and pretend like you're a wolf. You know, um, That's that's nonsense. But that's really what we're, we're being told to well, do today. This is just a thought exercise. I, I, I thought it was actually kind of funny because often what Babylon B, you know, the satirical yeah. Christian... Uh, um, I don't know, whatever, media company. What they do is they just do this all the time, and they, and they make it humorous. 
Like for example, they they had an example of a uh, a motorcyclist who identified as a bicyclist competing <laughs> with bicycles, right? So here's a guy who's kind of out of shape, you know, riding his motorcycle, competing with uh, all these a, other bi- people peddling Yeah, like and crazy. he's just like breezing by, and and he's because he's identifying as a bicyclist, and and all they do is take these ideas and they go further down and they make a story of it, and then we look at it and we're like, ah, that's funny. Well, yeah. But they're simply riding that train down that's a little right. longer. It, it, it's farcical. By the time they get to it, you're you're laughing because it's so. Absurd. Absurd, but it's not absurd. Like you said, it's just taking the idea, yeah. jumping on the train, and seeing where this thing takes us. Yeah. And and uh, and we should be doing that. I mean, the Bible talks about prudence and wisdom. Like before you do something, count the cost. Before you act in a certain way, consider the outcome. I mean, this is just being wise. And for us to jump on these woke trains that are going off cliffs. Um, you know, the, when we had the, the marriage debate, basically we said that uh, marriage was not between a man and a woman. There was no biological reality. There was no idea of the fact that a man and a woman are actually necessary to, to procreate. That We threw away all the social data and the common sense data that said uh, a child should not be raised in a, if it takes a man and a woman to create a child, then a child should not be raised in a family where there's not a male and a female. In other words, a mom and a dad. These are, these are not luxuries. These are realities. And we threw all that aside, and we basically said, uh, love is love. Uh, if if two people love each other, it doesn't matter what gender they are, uh, you know, it, then that should be recognized. And then what came into the argument was, well, what about if, why just have two people like for marriage? Why not have a man and six women, or why not have six men and four women and call that marriage? Or why not be married to your dog? Or why not be married to your car? Or why not be married to a Frisbee? I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, the absurdities, we could have a lot of fun with that because the problem was we never really defined what marriage was. And we don't define what love is. And we don't, don't define what love is, yeah. So, so it, gets to be, it gets to be a mad, 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 mad world when you reject any kind of standards, when you throw truth out the window, and when you throw re- ultimate reality out the window, and and now we have to live not in one reality, but in a billion different realities. And, and, and traditionally, philosophers or intellectuals, that's their job to think deeply about these issues, to say, hey, you know what? This seems like an interesting idea. Let's accelerate this 20, 30 years. And what does that look like? You know, you won't, you can't read the future, but there's history and there's common sense. And yeah. you can kind of think through that process and, and, and do those mental exercises. Well, now our, our intellectuals are totally just not doing any of those things or doing it objectively. They're, they're very biased and they're pushing an agenda versus, you know, philosophers used to be basically the scientists of the thoughts, right? Right. They were, were pursuing truth. They're pursuing truth. Like wherever, scientists Wherever should, truth right? led them. Right. <clears throat> the problem is when you reject God, you reject the foundation of anything ultimate or transcendent. And now you're completely lost because if there is no truth, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, there's nothing to pursue. And, uh, you know, when I used to teach philosophy at, at a, a local Christian university, philosophy and Christian thought, um, somebody observed that you know, we have this rich tradition of deep, profound thought about all of life. But when you rejected God, it has now uh, got to the place where the only thing philosophers are even debating is whether 
life should be lived. And they're talking now about the validity of suicide as just an intellectual option, because if life is meaningless, you might as well just end your life. I mean, what a, what a wicked place to descend from here. You start off so high and noble thinking about the, the good life and, and, and truth and all these beautiful things, beauty, goodness. And now it, it devolves to a, that, that train once God was ejected has devolved to a place where you're simply trying to come up with an argument for why you should live at all. And, uh, and the author in our book we're going to be diving into a little bit talks about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, the band back in the 90s, who basically was, was coming from a, a nihilistic worldview that there is no God, life is meaningless, uh, searching for Nirvana. In other words, you're trying to, in Buddhism, you're trying to lose yourself, not find yourself. And he ended up, you know, committing suicide. And I forget how many copycat suicides happened, some, uh, close to, I think, 100 uh, copycat suicides happened right after him, uh, simply because young people were saying there, there's no reason to get out of bed. Uh, life is, is meaningless. Uh, that happens when you reject yeah. transcendent truth and you, tr- you reject God. That sounds like a depressing concert to go to. <laughs> it is a different, but, it, but it's sad because here's this young man. You go back though, and you look at, at his life, and you look at the divorce that happened in his family, and you look at how he felt lost, and how, he, you know, he kind of fell through the cracks. And and here's an incredibly talented musician who ends up, you know, murdering himself, suicide. Um, what a tragic thing. So anyway, a lot of this it's interesting. We can go back and look at it. Prior to the 1960s, suicide among among teenagers was almost non-existent. And after the 60s and the sexual revolution and the rejection of God and all these things, God is dead. Now you find suicide on the rise, and it's, it's tragic. And it, it, but again, ideas have consequences. You want to get on that train, it's going to take you somewhere. And we're going to talk about uh, that in the, in the podcast to come here. Uh, the fact that ideas are the infrastructure of reality. As the Bible says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So education is a huge thing. Public policy is a huge thing. And we've got to get back to finding our, our footing or else it's going to lead. Uh, as we say today, you go woke, you go broke. It's not just with the current faddish ideas. It's with ideas in general. If you have woke, godless ideas, you're going to go broke in terms of the way you live your life. It's not going to end well for you. I think the idea of, I mean, I don't, I haven't done a deep dive into wokeness, but the idea of woke is you awaken up to the new, to a new awakening, to a new enlightenment of the truth. It is really, it's yeah, really arrogant. Thing, yeah, yeah you, you're, you're, you wake up all of a sudden, oh, you're, you're, you have a higher understanding. Higher enlightenment than, yeah, of, of all the histories mm-hmm. in the past and just realizing, man, a lot of these ideas that were, are recycled, they have been thought through in the past. Like they have been discovered and they have been processed and there's historical precedents. And if you really look into it, it's like, oh, they did try that. And it didn't quite work out very well. You know, we have thousands of human histories that we can look back on to dive into. Yeah. But, but, but we don't. That's called hubris. It's called pride. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. In other words, we think we're smarter now than people who preceded us. That's, C.S. Lewis. that's snobbery. It's got um, a words, huh? <laughs> I mean, there's people who have thought so, so much more deeply about any, anything we're talking about today, and it's so stupid of us not to pause and go back and say, wait a minute, maybe we could learn something yeah. from the past. Yeah. Uh, and that's our hope in this podcast as we get back to biblical truth and biblical ideas. Uh, you know, the Bible says, go back to the ancient past. 
What are those ancient paths? They're the paths of truth, wisdom, you know, uh, knowledge, understanding uh, that, that has already been laid out for us from the mind of God. Thus saith the Lord. That is divine revelation, and it's the strongest most secure footing that we have to build our lives upon. So, hey, we're going to continue this. We hope you'll join us again next uh, Thursday as we dive back into these ideas that shape the and provide the infrastructure for the good life. Until then, we look forward to seeing you next Thursday.